standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here, and welcome to one of two Sunday Chops that we are releasing today. Let's start with the other one. That is the third in our series with Macmillan, which we have titled Let's Talk About Death. And in that, Jen talks to Nikki Dias from Cruise Bereavement Services about grief and how we all deal with it differently and whether there is a, a good way or a bad way or a quick way to get over death. Spoiler alert, there's really not. But it is still a really worthwhile and interesting listen. In this chops, I am talking to the choreographer Helen Pickett, whose brand new narrative ballet based on Arthur Miller's The Crucible is getting its world premiere at the Edinburgh International Festival as part of the Scottish Ballet's 50th anniversary year. We talked about The Crucible, about witch hunts. We talked about the collaboration with ballet, black, and the importance of getting more women of colour into ballet and on stage. That is coming up now, and there's information at the end about where you can find yourself a ticket. Tell me a little bit more about this production, how you got involved and and what you're trying to achieve with it. At the outset for the Edinburgh International Festival, I made a decision and the Scottish Ballet, we made a decision together to follow Miller's rendition in terms of characters. I fell in love with narrative a while ago. You know, we always worked with story. I always created a story for myself, even if it was an abstract piece of work. And then through my acting that I did with the Wooster Group in New York, I fell more in love with plays and playwrights. Then with my first full-length ballet, Camino Real, by Tennessee Williams. Well, I love a bit of Tennessee Williams. I know, right? (laughs) But also, Camino Real, it's his least, um, let's say, successful piece. Yeah. But he considered it, the last biography by John Lahr was just wonderful because there was so much about Camino Real. And Williams really loved this piece. He, he thought it was the most poetic work he'd ever done. Anyhow, that was my first full length, and I realized, oh, this is actually a place I want to be in. The, the full ride, you know, being in a full evening and the years of research and work, because I really love the work outside of the studio as well. So narrative has been a very fulfilling part of my 14-year choreography career, and The Crucible has been close to my heart since the ninth grade because it was required reading in school. And it hit me then. Couldn't believe it in my 15-year-old brain that this this thing could happen, right? This kind of persecution. And in that age, you're looking for drama, right? But the injustice really hit me between the eyes, I have to say. Definitely. I can remember reading it and feeling just overwhelmingly angry. I mean, you you tend to feel angry as a 15-year-old girl anyway a bit. Exactly. But but yeah, this really (laughs) bought into that, that just, oh my God, how has this been allowed to happen? Exactly. And, And again and again and again, it's just that, you know, I know it's an overused word, but one of the brilliant parts of this play is that he used the witch hunt as such a perfect metaphor for the 1953 place that yeah. U.S. found itself in during the McCarthy era. And, you know, he, he just chose so well because it becomes a timeless piece of art because of this witch hunt, because through the eons of our humanity, witch hunts have happened in the overt sense also in this sense that we keep our finger pointing and our suspicions going. That's interesting because where we are now, you see the word witch hunt used a lot 
but it's kind of lost its meaning in that people use it and i mean for example donald trump will say this is a Mm. witch hunt and you think that's not how a witch hunt works in a witch hunt you have no power and the people hunting you have all the power and quite often it's the exact opposite but we all know that he is not cognizant of semantics no that is just the bottom line so i try not to waste my thought because i give too much thought anyhow to that whole situation not only that, you know, it's a really common tactic that the more you use a word, the less, well, it can go both ways. It can be used so often that people are brainwashed into believing non-facts, or it can lose its actual drama. There's a dichotomy there. I had made a 45-minute piece of, of The Crucible in 14, and Pretty much after the curtain went down, Chris Hampson said, you know, I think this is a full length bursting to come out of this one act. So that's that's how we got here to the full length version. And it was actually after an eight minute version of, well, an eight minute, uh, let's say, foray into an inspiration of No Exit that I did in 2014. We were in Inverary and he mentioned the Crucible. So we take driving trips together, Chris Hampson and I. It's, it's, it's how I get to see this beautiful country. It's fun. I created this 45 minute version with Bernard Herman music. And then this time around, I have a beautiful, compelling roller coaster of a composition by Peter Salem, who I also worked with on Camino Real. And this has been Talk about being, you know, in a synesthetic way. Talk about tasting, smelling, seeing, feeling this work through the music. That has been such an easy step with this music. I, I, I could see the steps. And we work per email, on Skype. But it's been really the, the collaborative aspect working with Peter Salem has been so fulfilling. And I know this isn't the point I'm supposed to focus on, but he's called Peter Salem. That seems like it, it was meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And the funny thing is, is that we didn't come to that for a while. We're like, hold on. It's a wonderful and odd coincidence. I, I think, you know, the reason that I said a hearty and quite quick yes to doing the Crucible is that I am a choreographer. I love communication, inclusivity. And community are big aspects in all of my work. And Miller, his play is filled with the spectrum of humanity. We all know the the juggernaut of momentum. I think that's one of the things that's so amazing about this play, too. There's this momentum that just it rolls and there's there's a speed to it. And it's a little bit scary to get off that train before it finishes because you might misstep you know but it's this resonant powerful multi-layered content which is at times heart-wrenching courageous faith-filled fearful loving desirous treacherous superstitious the action just tumbles and it sputters as it trips over its contradictions and it slows sometimes to this terrifying halt So the play pushes us or pushed me to question the fabric of our choices. And that's something as far as making a a dance out of this that I really attached to immediately. In this momentum, I, again, I'm I'm also a choreographer. I attached to the senses 
very much. For example, I one of my things is I proprioceptively I I work to have not just the music land on an audience member's skin, but also the movement. How does that, if that can land somewhere? So breaking the fourth wall has always been a study for me as a choreographer. And I feel like both the Williams work and this work can lend itself to that. This one, because of the momentum and the drama, which I've put in the physicality and Williams, because of this extremely, I wonder if he was a synesthete because the images he creates are just so tangible, you know. You always feel really sweaty when you watch you do. Tennessee Williams, yes. yeah. And Southern, like it should, you should be holding a mint julep and smelling oleander or something. Yeah. It is, it's, it's so tangible. Can I ask you, you mentioned the word inclusivity earlier. Now, this is in association with ballet, black. What's needed to be done to ensure that more women of colour are included in ballet? Being an American choreographer and having most of my work over there, this question has been raised quite often and for many years. And I've been on that bandwagon. As a woman in a leadership role, we have to band with other women and other people who do not have, let's say, equal seats at the table. And actually, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Equal seats. So I always, when I talk about this, I always talk about education and example. Working from the POV that there were more women of color on stage. Well, that gives our youngsters, they get to see people that look like them. They get to realize and understand that they too can do. And that's the point. There's possibility. And the education creates probability. So those two things work in tandem, I believe. The education needs to be there to support the wishes and the needs and the opportunities for these young people to be on stage. So we need to accept that equity and inclusion make the world better and make our work better and not as an exception. So in this horrible solo status way, which goes also with women of color on stage, you know, you're carrying the weight on your shoulders if you're a solo status person in a company. If there are more seats at the table, it becomes something that is Of course it's happening. This is our world. This is how our world looks. So the opportunities need to be created as a rule, not as an exception. Scottish Ballet and Ballet Black have have been collaborating since 2010. You know, Chris is on their board, Chris Hampson. He's made ballets for them, and he made one of them, Storyville, on Chira. Robinson, who is the woman playing Tichaba in, in the Edinburgh Festival version. And... This is another important, I guess, statistic, but my rendition and the Scottish Ballet's production will be one of the only full-length major ballets to include a soloist role for a woman of color So at, at the Edinburgh International Festival. Mm. So that's an, interesting, that's an interesting side note, but, you know, that's a positive. As far as women in power, it's like I need to approach this in an inclusive way because, you know, We are not looking, we women, right, are not looking to exclude. That's the bottom line. To see someone like Megan Rapinoe in the Women's World Cup was just thrilling. Oh, my God, she's amazing. I am properly in love with her. Me too, properly in love. She's just such a beacon of light. She's really, 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 really good at what she does. And she's this example. And it's just, and, and 
She is inclusive. That's her whole platform. Hello, Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixed Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And Jen is at Inspire Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. I'm trying to... No, I'm not trying. I am highlighting the strength of the women in this piece. So if we're talking about equal seats at the table, Miller has created 10 roles for women and 11 roles for men. That's a pretty great ratio, right? And so we have Elizabeth, Abigail, and Tichuba and Rebecca Nurse that face these events in their lives with a direct focus. They're stalwart and they're strong. They do not sign any confessions. Again, this is the exclusive of Abigail. Sarah Good and and Martha Corey have a different journey, but it was important for me to show that this community, this tightly knit community, and then the characters, we start in a positive place because nobody starts out evil. It was very important for me to have this situation that we saw strong, positive, educated in terms of Becca Nurse, you know, and Martha Corey loved her books, educated women to, you know, counteract the incredible negative forces here, right? So in order for me to do that, I went to a before story. And this is the one thing I actually took from my 45-minute version. I expanded the treatment of the events that are not seen in the play. They're only talked about. So these are the events that actually bring us to this point. So I have a dance in the forest. I have the affair of John and Abigail. I have a reconciliation duet of John and Elizabeth. I have Elizabeth catching the affair. I have, at the very beginning, a show where we're seeing a family life in which the triangle is, is present, Elizabeth, Abigail, and John. I came with the treatment because I worked with Nancy Meckler, who is a wonderful director in her own right in the UK, earlier on this piece. So I came with a treatment. We worked for a week in London. And she actually gave me the idea, suggested these ideas for showing this triad in the house. We don't get to the first act of The Crucible until the last scene of my first act. I'm showing the togetherness of the community. That's a huge scene where everybody's on stage and we're doing a kind of reel. Then when James Bonas, the director I'm working with now, or the artistic collaborator, which is what he's called for this piece, we we went further into uh, highlighting this journey. So I needed to show that the girls were fun-loving teenagers. You know, as we know, teenagers love intrigue. I went to the Rebecca Nurse Homestead in Danvers, Massachusetts as part of my research. And I found out through a lecture that Abigail was actually probably dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder because she had witnessed her parents' slaughter. You know, and then Reverend Paris is her uncle, right? So she is cast into a community where she's an outsider. And she gets a job at the Proctor House, this loving family. And she has the fixation of someone that has, a, you know, a post-traumatic stress. They fixate on things. She fixates on John as the person that might be able to cherish her, save her, protect her. And then Elizabeth gets in the way. That so you know, there's it's filled with these dichotomies. But people are not all bad, and they don't start bad. 
I don't believe. That is my general belief in life. Can I ask you what you think the enduring appeal of the Crucible is? It's about 66 years, right? He took the platform of this historical witch hunt, which I already alluded to. He sets up a spectrum of how, why, what, where people are persecuted. The persecution of being other, quote-unquote, other or othered. And the 10 female characters in the play are by proxy, because they're female, are othered. It is what it is. And and the men have their place and the women definitely have uh, not even a second-class citizen place, right? But it's the brilliant, it's it's the insidious underpinnings and the overt actions of the play that, that spoke to me. It's also what I find to be some of the depth and the brilliance of Miller's writing. And there is an array of reasons to show how deep the fear goes of relinquishing power of the one to a more spread out idea of the whole. Yeah. What is next for you? Well, the Crucible, of course, has its world premiere at the festival. Then it has a countrywide um, tour. And then it has another tour, but I'm not sure if it's been announced. Very exciting. (laughs) And then I have have work with uh, Boston Ballet, which is actually where I started as a choreographer. So I'm going back there and um, I'm working with a new company in Canada, Alberta Ballet. And then um, I also have three full lengths in my mind that I'm already working on and have been working on for about a year or two that need to find homes. (laughs) (laughs) But I I do love, as I said, you know, I'm a person who who really enjoys the journey. So this work um, on these three new ideas is, is something that I would do anyhow. And I have a, you know, I do believe in intention. So I believe they will find a home because the intention is there. And right now I'm just very much concentrated because I'm now in the editing process of The Crucible. Uh, I have 18 pages of edits to tackle the storytelling again to make it even clearer. I'm smitten with every every aspect of, of this amazing career that I that I practice. It's just, I'm a very lucky person. And I'm not saying that as a woman who always says she's so lucky to have work. I don't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, you know, to, to be an artist is just lucky, period. That's terrific. Thank you so much for your time, Helen. This has been really interesting. May I please just mention the other collaborators? You certainly can, yes. Because I am a collaborative artist and we made this together. So I mentioned the early work with Nancy Meckler. James Bonus is now the artistic collaborator I'm working with for story and coaching now. Peter Salem, the wonderful man with the great name, <laughs> composer. And then Emma Kingsbury is uh, the costume designer, just remarkable research and and fabric research and historical research that she did to make a beautiful palette of costumes. And she's also half of the set designer team. David Finn is the lighting designer who has created a world. He's just, he works a lot with the Royal Ballet. He's created this beautiful evocative world and he is the other half of the set design team of course chris hampson and all the dancers that contribute and the rehearsal assistants it's it couldn't happen without all of these components the the technical crew the costume and i i really am cognizant about always mentioning everyone involved well it takes a village quite literally to create a village So, if Helen's left you thinking, ooh, the Crucible, I want a bit of that, these are the details you need to know. 
As we said, it's on as part of the Edinburgh International Festival. It's on the 3rd, the 4th and the 5th of August at the Edinburgh Playhouse. And tickets are available from the Edinburgh International Festival website, which is www.eif.co.uk. Until next week. Standard Issue for All Women.